This episode of Adjust Your Tracking is brought to our friends over at the Criterion Collection, uh, the boutique, probably the ultimate bo- boutique Blu-ray label, the Criterion Collection is, and uh, they've been very generous to us in this show and helped us keep going along for a uh, better part of a year now, so we thank them for that, uh, but especially we're, we're movie fans here at AYT, so we're here to celebrate movies, and Criterion just keeps putting out great new releases pretty much every month, so... Um, from July, but definitely still out there and, uh, and, and getting out in stores now are a couple really great Blu-ray releases worth shouting out. Uh, we had done a small segment in a previous playlist podcast on Bull Durham that is now out on Blu-ray from the Criterion, one of the great baseball movies, great romantic comedies as well. But the one I am most excited about seeing on Blu-ray is um, a Powell and Pressburger film. I would say, for me, it was an instant masterpiece when I saw it, and it is A Matter of Life and Death. Uh, the directors behind the Red Shoes, Black Narcissus, um, Peeping Tom—you know, like they've made some classic, great films. Um, and I would say, A Matter of Life and Death is magical and kind of like what movies are all about. So, check that one out. You have no excuse; it's easy to find now. Uh, these titles uh, are also streaming on Filmstruck as well, which is Criterion's uh, streaming service they use. So, check that out. We thank Criterion for their support. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to Adjust Your Tracking. I'm Eric McClanahan. I'm Joe Von Oppen. <laughs> very, very boisterous, spirited. You must be in a good mood. Is it? Is it the movies we're going to talk about today? Maybe, maybe it's just like we talk about coming of age a lot. It's just like a thrill to just keep you know vicariously coming of age through these movies we're watching. Oh yeah, you just like in your mind, you're Benjamin Button. You're just like you're reverse aging. You're you're, you're becoming yeah, yeah, younger just- again. I'm a 16 year old girl again. It's great. That's going to fit for this episode, I think. Yep. It's all about getting in the head of, uh, I mean, that might be the age across the board. Uh, teenage girls, for sure. Um, uh, in the two, the two movies specifically, we're not going to uh, uh, reference um, in its own review eighth grade, but I feel like that's a movie that kind of belongs in this conversation a little bit. But um, sure. uh, that one's out there. You have not seen that yet, right? No, I have not. <laughs> For I no mean, real excusable reason. There's just like, I should have seen it by now, but I just, I haven't. Oh, I didn't mean to shame you, my friend. I shouldn't even have said it on mic like that. You know, we there's 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 only so much time, you know. It, it's a good movie, but it does fit in uh, a certain um, more in- independently made, more uh, maybe something that's wor- working, trying to give us something a little different perspective uh, that connects eighth grade to the two movies we will look at, uh, which are yeah. arguably much, much smaller. Not even arguably. I think it's a fact. These are much smaller movies, smaller releases uh, than, yeah. eighth, than eighth grade. But Skate Kitchen and uh, Madeline's Madeline. Um, which one? What are you thinking? You you want to just dive into these both at the same time or or uh, is well, it? Yeah, I think we're going to we're going to dive in simultaneously. But um, we we discussed a few episodes ago maybe more than a few but uh the sort of 
the um, the phenomenon of Movie Pass and how uh, that was just a sort of it was you know like I never got Movie Pass. Not that I didn't understand it, I just never got one, um, and that really confused and frustrated a lot of like my film going. Uh, you know, like family and friends, they're just like, why not? You go see movies all. What the fuck is wrong with you? It's only ten dollars. And I just like, there was just something about it. It was kind of like eighth grade where I was like, I have no excusable reason for not having gotten it, but I just haven't. So like, didn't do it. The one theater I go to the most, the Arclight, which is, you know, where I, I see the majority of my movies, despite it being owned by, I think, Scientologists. Um, it oh. still is like, <laughs> we've talked about this before, I think, but like, it's, um, it's a perfectly curated experience as much as that word has been abused lately, curated. Uh, but it's like, if you love going to the movie theater, that's the theater for you. Like there's no ads beforehand. They're playing film scores and like the, you know, in the beautiful theaters that you're going to see the films in, they introduce the movie, three trailers, movie starts. That's it. That theater does not take movie pass. And so like I spend the excess, it's, it's expensive to go see a movie it's $18 like, and it's not 3d uh, rumble pack seats, whatever those are called D box. I think <laughs> Dick, Dick box seats. It's not that um, it's uh, it's just like, it's, it's just a great perfected theatrical experience. They don't take movie pass. The theaters that do take it is a little bit more of the assembly line Costco environment that I've come to kind of resent like mm. 45 minutes of trailers, commercials for the Marine Corps or, you know, Airbnb, just like, it just sort of cheapens the experience for me. I could deal with it. I've done it before. It's fine. Like I look, love going to malls sometimes, <laughs> but like, <laughs> so like the, the phenomenon of movie pass over the past year where like, you know, I am in a city, you are too. These are two film nerd cities, Mm. but like, I know a lot of people that have movie pass and they just go to see movies every week now because of movie pass, just everything. Like they don't, they're, they're going to see stuff that they may have been inhibited to take a chance on because it's too expensive. Even the art house theaters are, you know, they're 12 to $14 to get in. So it's like, it's too much money for a lot of people. So if you pay nothing with the exception of the monthly rate of $10, which may go up periodically, but still it's an insane deal. Um, you know, you're, you're getting an insane savings. And I think a lot of people were taking chances on movies that had since been relegated to streaming services, you know, independent films, documentaries, they were going to see them in the theater because fuck it's free for the most part, you know, like why not? So movie pass, as of at least like a week or two ago, everybody was declaring it dead. I don't think it's dead officially. No, it doesn't seem. But they're changing uh, the things lot. every week, though. They're they're in a bad way right now. Yeah, yeah. So the lights are still on, but who knows for how long and before you know the for lease sign is going to be up, you know, in no time. <laughs> but until then, like it's still it's in a weird limbo and free fall. And so like the movies that had become like bygone conclusions in terms of like, yeah, I'm not going to see that in the theater. Why would I see that in the theater? Like my coworker who said they still play documentaries in the theater. You know, it's just, it's becoming this thing where it's like, why would I see that type of movie in the theater? Unless it's a, an event movie. And so if it's not an event movie in terms of like uh, a spectacle, um, 
it's an event movie in terms of like a kind of like social awareness movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, these two movies that we're going to be discussing Madeline's Madeline and skate kitchen do kind of like do appeal to that sense of an event because it's two two like women filmmakers, which like, you know, that feels really, I don't know, like, to to have to illustrate that i know we've talked about this in the past about how it just feels condescending it's just like Mm -hmm. well they're like the like catherine bigelow isn't a great filmmaker because you know like she oh she's a great woman filmmaker no she's a great filmmaker so to have to qualify it you know it's still it 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 like it implies how far we aren't in terms of like the way you know like there there's a there's a disparity in terms of like how like how people are treated Mm -hmm. and like you know we discussed that on the last episode it's about it's how jarring it is how far we haven't come sometimes you know it's just like it's disheartening so but so it is still unfortunately noteworthy that you know that there are more women filmmakers coming in Mm -hmm. Does it like because doesn't mean that that depression that we aren't further along in terms of like there being even more doesn't mean that we shouldn't acknowledge it when they arrive. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, exactly. Great. So uh, these two films are dealing with, you know, female protagonists, young women, and they're both set in New York. Uh, I'd say they're pretty, pretty different in terms of like tone. Like they're a little, they have the, oh, yeah. a little bit of the shared art house remove. Um, but one Madeline's Madeline is intensely expressionistic in terms of its fragmentation, mm. capturing the, the sort of like perspective of a potentially mentally ill young woman coming of age. Mm-hmm. And uh, skate kitchen is just about, a uh, you know, a shy introverted young woman who, you know, is drawn towards skateboarding finds a, a group of, you know, similarly aged young women in uh, Manhattan and just strikes up a friendship with them despite her mother's control freak tendencies. Ooh, there's another overlap to control is. freak mothers. Yes. Um, and, uh, and so over the course of a summer kind of like finds her home with these young women that are, an, an actual crew of skateboarders in New York called the skate kitchen. And they're all, they created characters for themselves. So they're not playing themselves, but you get a sense that, you know, due to the sort of evident chemistry on screen that they are sort of roughly playing themselves just with a kind of like the remove of being somewhat character like. Yeah. Skate kitchen seems like a lot of it must've been improvised in the way you're talking about where like they're playing like a, like a version of themselves or a character they created, but they're basically just going about, it has a naturalism to it that I think um, is very pleasurable, especially with skate kitchen, you know, like there's a real nice hangout vibe to that movie. Um, Mm -hmm. And when we talk about hangout movies, I think, you know, they often are like a Richard Linklater movie or uh, kids is very easy to compare actually to skate kitchen, Yeah, but they're very testosterone heavy. Um, uh, so that, that alone makes skate kitchen, as you said, it's like, it, it gives us a different perspective, but like it was um, really, I don't know, like, like it was kind of a small joy to see. Is that the same? There's an, there's a scene in skate kitchen 
where mm-hmm. it looks like it's set. You had mentioned this, I think, before I saw it. That's the same apartment from that scene in Kids, right? Where all the kids are hanging out. Um, and, he, and they're doing whippets. Yes. Yeah. That that looked like the exact. It did look like the exact yeah, same and, space. And the, the person whose apartment it is looks just like it looks like the same dude whose apartment it clearly is in Kids. Just 20 years older, which he would be. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's just like, wait, is this a direct reference? Because like clearly, you know, the the movies mirror each other to yeah. some extent. Like kids was, you know, a lot about skate culture in New York in the 90s without without being about skateboarding, which like on uh, the Harmony Corinne episode of Epically Later, which is a show on Vice kind of exploring skate world personalities. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was Ed Templeton said like, kids is the best one of the best movies about skateboarding because it's not about skateboarding so it's able to sort of like effortlessly capture the culture yeah and um so yeah that move like that those two scenes i was just like wait is that the same apartment because it's definitely framed the same way everybody's kind of sitting slouching on couches and like what you didn't get in kids which we you had this sort of like this scene of these escalating testosterone driven meatheads where they were all just like talking about sex. And like that scene was actually kind of mirrored with, you know, like Rosario Dawson and Chloe Savigny have like their own scene. And they're kind of like bouncing back and forth between the two settings where it's like a group of girls talking about sex, a group of boys talking about sex. But like what you get in skate kitchen is like the same kind of dynamic, but a girl as a fly on the wall, just sort of like infiltrating the world and how, how kind of like, how unknowingly hideous it comes across and how imposing even at it's like seemingly most harmless. It's still, there's something kind of like innately insidious about the machismo of it. Mm. And like, that was another thing that like, like I love kids as a film, as a, as a moment in time, as like, as just, I, I think it's, it's just like a great piece of work, but it's like, it's so, burdened and so doomed in terms of it's like being a sort of document of just doomed dude energy, (laughs) you know, like, and how it ends up like victimizing women. Mm -hmm. And this is seemingly like they, the, the women in skate kitchen still have to contend with macho meatheaded dudes you know, in terms of like the skate parks they skate at and like just coming into contact with like territorial guys. But by and large, it's unencumbered by that energy, that gross dude energy. Yeah. And there was just something kind of like, I don't know, like there was like an elation to the movie that like matched its kind of like breezy summer hangout vibe that you described. You know, there was just something about like, you know, watching these characters kind of like find their lane and like just sort of like and genuinely develop friendship with each other and maybe like tear up weirdly, <laughs> like while not being sort of like cued by an emotional scene, I would just be like, you know, they're skating in slow motion through like a park and I'd be like, <laughs> you know, just starts up kind of like, you know, I, I'd have my own macho dude moment of crying. That's Which beautiful. is just as macho. Thank <laughs> you. That's very beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Yes, no I. Problem. I mean, <laughs> I. 
I mean, yeah, you're you. I think even like more than me, like a big. You're a big fan of this kind of subgenre or this culture on film, right? Like it's something yeah. you told me off mic that like that's what was really pulling you in with this movie. Where uh, when I first started it, I got the sense of like immediate familiarity in terms of uh, indie movie vibe or uh, even TV. I think I said. Um, but really, the aesthetic of this movie, which is appropriate, and I should have just like waited it out and experienced it, you know, because it's it's trying to have the effect of an Instagram feed in in a cinematic way, like telling that in a movie. Yeah. So everything looks that way, and that's appropriate. That's how these girls get to know each other. It's their world, and it's doing it in a way that doesn't feel the need to have like Twitter bubbles come up on screen, or you know, they probably wouldn't even use that or texting bubbles. Like a lot of movies do that. Some of it is used well in movies, but it's, it's so, it's so common now that like, it's nice to see a different, slightly different approach to how, you know, young people use technology to meet each other. Um, so it's a major element of the movie that it has that aesthetic, but my initial feeling was just like, ah, oh, this just is like all indie movies look this way. The sun dappled, like overexposed kind of digital imagery, but it fits the movie and generally, uh, or what really won me over was that tone and the, like the, the hangout vibe works when the movie tries to insist on not so much more plot stuff, but introduces more elements that create drama. I get why the movie goes there. Uh, it has to do with, uh, actually my biggest complaint of the movie, which revolves around this introduction of drama is Jaden Smith is in this movie for some reason. Um, and I have no, what? I have no nothing against him as an actor. I've just, I have no stake in the. What's that? No, no, just, just, oh, just, I have, you know, I have, I have no stake in that game with with him at all. But I, he stuck out, stuck out like a sore thumb. Where I just, he looks like, well, he looks like a rich Hollywood kid, like hanging out with actual New York skaters. It, it was jarring and he's not terrible in the movie, but it certainly was one of those things where I don't think they needed the movie. I think would have not take, I wouldn't have been taken out if it was someone I didn't know. So, uh, you know, there, there's a beef I have in that movie, but where the drama leads to and how it finds uh, a completely different, uh, optimism than the, the dread and the, the sort of doomness you, you cited in kids. Uh, I was okay. By the end, the movie doesn't over sentimentalize it. In fact, it does it very briefly where it kind of wraps up the story. And uh, mm-hmm. I actually really, it kind of won me over. I was like, whatever like little nitpicks I have about this movie. Um, I, it was a pleasure to watch because it simply uh, left me in a place where I felt like they were going to be okay. Things will be all right. But like, it didn't over sentimentalize it. I, I like that a lot about it. Yeah. I, I think that there's like, it's funny, like mirroring it to kids. Cause like the sense of kids had such a great ensemble of like naturalistic actors who yeah. a lot, a lot of which like were not trained. They were, you know, amateur actors, like a lot of people kind of just playing themselves and skate kitchen has a similar feel in terms of like discovering kind of new personalities with the exception of Jaden Smith, who <laughs> I, that's just an interesting kind of like who knows why he wound up in the movie, you yeah. know, cause he, he may have just been like really drawn towards like, he may have been a big advocate for them on like Instagram or something like that. And he's just it, like, I love these girls. The movie. I'm sure it helps it. That's what I mean. That, yeah. So, so 
selling a movie whereas like with kids like it was all unknowns you know and like they had the benefit of like Gus Van Zandt co-signed as a producer on kids but like it was just all unknown actors and so like you do want to just sort of like rally for them to just take a chance you know just like just Jaden Smith isn't detrimental to the movie like in terms of like capsizing any credibility the movie can have he doesn't have a convincing New York accent. And um, <laughs> when he says uh, dead ass, which is a common New York slang, um, you, you dead ass, like you, are you serious is essentially what he's asking. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't work. Doesn't sing. Doesn't fly. Like, <laughs> are you dead ass? Oh, that didn't sound convincing. Um, <laughs> so, so that's a little rough, but like, he's cute, you know, like he's charming. <laughs> like he doesn't, so, you know, like I and I really enjoyed uh, his vegan hamburgers he curated for a local chain down here. So I he's in my heart. I like him. He's he's a good kid. But um, that's yeah. Nice. So like the, the, the huh? What did you say? No, I just said that's nice. <laughs> it is nice. Um, so like just the the overall kind of like what we were saying, like the overall kind of ease and feel of the movie there it's interesting like the more you have to justify like why am i going to go see this in the theater like why you know like as as things are getting intensely competitive and elbowing for space and relevance and like that's essentially why you would have a sort of known celebrity in a movie of mostly unknowns is to get it sold Mm -hmm. and so it's just like you look at that and you're like, well, why? Like, why not, why not be the antithesis? Why not just be like, you know, these are all unknowns. This is a movie experience. Unlike another one that's going to exist as much as it sort of feels familiar to a bygone era of indie filmmaking. It's unlike a lot of stuff that's out right now. And like, and so that should be reason enough to justify one getting the movie made and two for you to go see it. Like there's something about like, like the the things that it appealed to in me were like skate culture, girls in skate culture, which was just like it was just I didn't know how like elated it would feel to see it depicted, but it was New York in the summertime, which like as disgusting and as much as a, a of a garbage furnace as it feels like when you're actually there in the summertime, there's a beauty to seeing it depicted on film. Uh and if we if we had a little more time before this, I might have suggested a holdup of Raising Victor Vargas, which is another movie that a coming of ager from uh, the early 2000s about a kid coming of age in New York in the summertime. Mm. Keep oh. it in mind for another time, though. Yeah, because I never saw that. Well, you should. I know. It sounds like I should. Yeah, that that that's super cool. Um I, I want to give a shout out to the director, Crystal Moselle, because did we talk mm-hmm. about the Wolf Pack when that came out? I'm not sure. We never got to. No, yeah, no. We never. Yeah. I mean, really, one of the better documentaries the year I saw it. Um, I, I really appreciated the way she like it completely immersed herself, must have, into the story of those those people, those kids, because uh, it's set over many years. Um, liked that one a lot. And I think her sort of blurring the lines of natural... Uh, uh, essentially using her documentary experience and people she's met and fusing that with a naturalistic fiction, really nice bridge for her to continue and try other things as a filmmaker. And this one is uh, more uh, visually polished than something like the Wolfpack. Um, and I think that works well 
but it still has a lot of movement and verb and en- verb and energy to it. The camera moves a lot, and there's a lot of that kind of classic. Um, by the way, there it will never get old on camera or just like on a screen scene moving camera like probably somebody on rollerblades or a skateboard themselves following someone just beautifully on a skateboard and you get yeah. those like those pool turns and stuff like there's just something beautiful about that you know it used to be like super 8 footage or 16 millimeter like spike jones stuff early 90s whatever but like i like the way you know digital cameras are the friend to a to a skateboarder that wants to to tape themselves so i i that sort of aesthetic is pleasing to me in a in a similar way to you um, that it just looks good. It looks really good on camera and it does in this one too. So yeah, the, the tracking shots of like bodies in motion, like that's something that's always been like really hypnotic for me. of just like track a camera that's moving along with someone else moving. And like, that's what skate videos were like, yeah. where there was like a cameraman most likely on a skateboard following along with somebody. And there's just like a, that kineticism is so just like hypnotic to watch. And then it, especially coupled with like slow motion photography in, you know, the, 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 the sort of twilight of summer in New York city. It's, it's, it's romantic. It is. It's very romantic. All right. So a movie that I wouldn't say is quite well, Madeline's Madeline is on the other end of the spectrum in terms of uh, it's not, it's not really a romantic film. Um, Autistic spectrum. <laughs> it's it, this movie is, if nothing else, you can. I did not have a sense of familiarity when Madeline's Madeline started. Uh, I yeah. immediately. This movie plunges you into its story, into its character, in a way that is uh, re- like unrelent. It, it's not going to hold your hand, um, right? And that was thrilling because it's a different kind of plunge into a female psyche in this movie. Um, and it could be, it, it doesn't even have to be specific to a gender, Madeline's Madeline, to work. But the fact that um, I, I think really it's the actor that the movie was built around, this this discovered uh, Helena Howard, I think is her her name. And she plays the titular Madeline and uh, in an a, a attempt to try to like summarize this movie but essentially it is she's a girl who has some kind of psychosis as you alluded to earlier in the movie uh the the podcast um she's definitely at odds with her mother played by miranda july uh a filmmaker herself and they uh very overprotective uh worrisome anxious mother the daughter is very erratic and we get sort of plunged into her, her perspective. So the movie is erratic and feels that way, but she's also a part of this like improv dance group thing that mm-hmm. was a complete, I mean, I've, I've seen elements of improv stuff like on shows and movies, um, never been to any of that uh, live, but this was definitely a glimpse into another element of her. I was like, what is this? And the movie creates its own world through this, like, play or uh, project that they're building with a director uh, who starts to sort of exploit and use Madeline's, you know, condition or her life to try to make art out of it. And then the movie gets into all kinds of other naughty, like complex issues with uh, storytelling. Um, But all the while does it in this propulsive, frankly, often um, exhausting style but mm-hmm. one that I, uh, while it, if I felt any familiarity was in the shallow focus aesthetic, the sort of blurry handheld, that is something that I'm seeing in a lot of like indie arts, arts, uh, art house films. 
But this one does it in a way that creates like its own grammar to tell the story. Uh, a movie that came to mind that doesn't give a one-to-one analogy, but like it, it reminded me of is um, something like Upstream Color, where you're plunged mm-hmm. into the style and you gotta, if you can get into the, the style of Madeline's Madeline, it is quite exhilarating, but it's it's frustrating. But uh, I gotta say, I've never seen a movie told quite like this. Um, so yeah, uh, that's something for sure. Yeah, it's... Um like I said, it's like pretty expressionistic in terms of like uh, being like fragmented and disorienting, trying to mirror Madeline's perspective essentially. And like, I like the opening of the movie is so stirring as it's like introducing you to her and her mother uh, in their apartment in New York. And like, it's, it's really like hectically edited in that Mm -hmm. first, like right before the titles revealed. Um, and like it's the the music is sort of bleeding over from a rehearsal of that like improv group that she's involved with and it like it crescendos really nicely and so it's just like that was that's your entry point into the movie and like that's that's so stirring and so just kind of like immersive and um and like it's hard for a movie to maintain that level of kind of like intensity even though madeline's madeline seems to be up to the task of like maintaining unpleasant intensity and like that's where like you know it does get sort of exhausting like where it's just like what, what am I like this is a troubled kid and like and you're it's putting it squarely and like from her perspective essentially which like he, she's seemingly alienated from herself which I think is part of the torment of being young is like having these enormous feelings that you don't know what to do with or how to articulate really yeah and um it reminded me like you mentioned upstream color, but like, uh, I don't know if you ever saw Lodge Kerrigan's clean shaven, uh, from like 1994. It's essentially from the perspective of a schizophrenic man played by Peter green. And it's like similar, it's super disorienting and you don't know like what, what the input is. And it's like, and you, so you're, you're just hearing noises and it's scrambled and distressing. It's an incredible film, super hard to like kind of sit through yeah, but it it kind of reminded me of that, and like I I thought the movie was like Madeline's Madeline was as like bold as it was. It was starting to grate me in terms of uh, e- exhaustion, and then like it sort of turns a corner and then like enters this new kind of de- like as much as the movie feels detached in terms of like a character not having a firm grasp on reality it plunges into something kind of like exaggerated and over the top that like, I think really causes it to sort of sing in its last third. Um, and it sort of enters into this territory of like, you know, like an almost black swan territory. Yeah. Yeah. And like, but even, but even that movie is not like, I mean, I think anybody listening to this would understand it's like, that's its own thing too. It's, it's like, it has that crossover, but Black Swan doesn't do it in this way. The the POV, you know. Um, yeah, 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 I like absolutely. I like that comparison. There is a there is a removal where you're watching someone go crazy in Black Swan, as much as like you're occasionally from her POV watching reality distort and get blurry. Um, you're only seeing it from Madeline's perspective for the most part. Occasionally, from her mother's perspective watching like reality get blurrier and blurrier and more difficult and harrowing. So 
I guess Julian Donkey Boy is another good comparison too. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a Harmony Korine referenced episode. Yeah, because that one is a difficult watch. That so is edited in a way maybe somewhat similar to Clean Shaven, uh, mm-hmm. but like that idea of just plunging you into someone with a uh, you know a, a something going on where they you you can't. There's no linear way to tell that story if you're going to truly represent what that character's going through. Um, I think what helps Madeline Madeline's Madeline is it does get better. It starts out really strong. I agree. Uh, I thought of you right away with a smile on my face that she often pretends to be a cat in this movie and uh, she pretends to be other animals. Sometimes she literally turns into a giant turtle. I love shit like that in this movie that it just literalizes stuff like that. But I thought of you in the beginning when she's purring like a kitten and the, the, some of my favorite stuff in the movie is the camera feeling like, Oh, I'm a cat. Like it, it shakes in a way like she's being pet. Um, so I thought of you, but I also like really warmed up to the movie right away. And then, yeah, it's sort of a, it's like an up and down thing where I was sort of alienated by the movie. And then I'd, I'd be like, all right, I just gotta, this is what this movie is. And that's part of the challenging nature of it. Uh, also being like, I'm glad it's not, more than 90 minutes long because that'd be really hard to sit through but it builds mm-hmm. the movie does build and actually finds other like sort of sub stories or like just other things to like latch on to its overarching story of Ma- this production and madeline's story in it um it yeah. finds other things like who's allowed to tell the story of uh you know she's a young black girl and the director is a white uh, a white woman, like a white middle-aged woman. And the idea of Molly reappro- Parker plays Molly her Parker. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The idea of appropriation comes up and that's not tacked on in a way that feels forced in this movie. It no, no, up. it's yeah. really, it's also not didactic at all. Like that, yeah. this scene where appropriation is, uh, is introduced is kind of right before the movie kind of like slides into like, it's sort of thrilling last act. And yeah. Like that scene is incredible as a performance from uh, from the main character from Madeline and then just from everybody kind of like around like it's essentially told through their uh, aghast expressions like the sort of issue of appropriation is told through their inability to process what's happening. They're like what the fuck is going on and like that that's like I don't know there was just like there was a there was there was a ratcheting up in that section where I was like, okay, the movie is really kind of like coming back to life in a way that like I felt alienated from and sort of exhausted from. Um, And so like, it it really does like hit this stride in its last leg. That also another reference point, I reference like two movies I actually don't like at all (laughs) in one of like the, to me, the most successful sections of the movie, but Synecdoche, New York was like another, like it's, like in terms of like storytelling and how uh, creating this um, outside of yourself uh, rendition of yourself starts to starts a feedback loop of like kind of uh, just referentiality that you can't escape. And yeah. like that, that like there, there was like, I thought that Synecdoche, Synecdoche, New York was like too cerebral to the point of not being kinetic and like not and like that's what Madeline's Madeline really does in those last like ten minutes is like oh jackpot. Um, <laughs> I'll edit that out. Uh, no, can we keep it in? <laughs> um, the real shit. <laughs> um, 
there was like a real sweeping kineticism to like that last leg in Madeline's Madeline. That was like kind of was pretty thrilling. Um, all another New York movie that was like similarly challenging, but like it did hit like strides was like uh, Nasty Baby. Do you remember that one with yeah? Kristen? That and that was another movie that after we recorded the blind spotting episode, I was like, that's another movie that addresses like uh, gentrification in a way that was like pretty, pretty rough and like pretty like uh, pertinent and like very urgently now, you know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's a sh- shout out to Nasty Baby. Yeah, I remember that one. Um, trying to remember the director's name, Sebastian Silva or no, yeah. that's a yeah, yeah. Like Christmas Fairy and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, several films we've we've covered. Yeah, well, this director of Madeline's Madeline, I've heard of. She kind of, uh, I think, made you know small waves um, in the art house crowds because her first couple features in the same year, I think, were chosen in a section of the Cannes Film Festival, which is always a big deal for a young filmmaker. But I've heard her previous films are worth checking out too: Butter on the Latch and Thou Wast Mild and Lovely. Um, don't know much about them, but Madeline's Madeline is like essentially a movie that is like a mixed bag that I'm excited about. I think you're saying similar things like you're going to be most likely frustrated by this movie, but I also think Madeline's Madeline, like I'm really proud that uh, my theater in Portland, we're going to show this movie uh, at the end of the end of August and it will probably only last a week. But this, this movie um, as much as I enjoyed skate kitchen, um, but Madeline's Madeline really belongs in a cinema. I think it's, it, the sound design of it, like I know I only kind of experienced half of that with my TV watching a, a a screener of it, you know, and I would love to have the sound just and just wrap just be wrapped all around me and and see it on a big screen because um, the, it would be less challenging. I think it'd be easier to get lost in the movie and that would be its own sort of like enjoyable cinematic experience It's like just being put through the ringer of this movie and especially coming like out on the other side, being excited by like how it told its story. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what, that's what I appreciated about this movie. It's like, again, like I, I, I want to, it's like sort of not the typical uh, film criticism. Like it just, this does movies that sort of sit in this middle ground, the massive gray area of like, I liked it, but I have plenty of issues with it, but like, you should totally see it. Like, there's just not much space for that for people that um, for just general audiences. Um, But I really wish there was more appreciation of like, go see something that like, you're not going to think you might, you might, it might become one of the greatest things you've ever seen. I I think some people could really fall for Madeline's uh, Madeline in that way, but also just like, why not go take a chance on something like this? Uh, It won't be in theaters long, but uh, I recommend that to anybody who, who's an adventurous film gore. uh, Cause it is, it is a, it's singular. Um, and I will always appreciate that and, uh, you know, place that high in, in importance for, uh, what I want out of, uh, you know, uh, at least some movie experiences. Uh, this one definitely scratched that itch. Yeah. The, I remember singular being a way of like kind of being critical of like, that was like feedback that I'd gotten before. I was like, yeah, it's very singular. I'm like, well, isn't that good? Like, don't you yeah. want something to like, be unique and distinguishable from the pack and like as you know like people need to be reassured of like what they're getting into in terms of like their investment of going to a movie in the theater like what is it i need to know come on this is what i can't sink this you know that much i have to get a babysitter and god damn it you know so like (laughs) p you know people don't want the unpredictable and like i think 
you know, the era of movie pass as it's still kind of, it's still around lights are still on, like, take your chance, go, go see something exciting, you know, make, you know, keep the, keep the culture alive and like, you know, electric with possibility. Yeah. These, these two movies are the ones to use the movie pass for not like the third time to go see mission impossible or whatever. But I have heard that movie pass is actually being more restrictive in terms of what movies you can see and when. So, um, if you're getting shut out by the big new release of the week, I would like to believe maybe Madeline's Madeline will be available somewhere if you're in a in a major city and see if see if you can get on it before that movie pass goes away cuz yeah, it is not long for this world, I'm afraid. Yeah. No. But uh yeah, uh cool. Well, what do you say, man? Should we should we wrap this one up? Yeah, let's do it. So just chill to the next episode. So episode 181 of Adjust Your Tracking, you can find all our episodes at theplaylist.net. Or uh, on your podcatcher of choice, you can find uh, us and our other shows on the Playlist Podcast Network. That's just our one big feed. And you find all our other shows like the Playlist Podcast, Over Under Movies, Us, uh, Adjust Your Tracking, of course, and Indie Beat. Um, So, yeah, check that stuff out. We'd be very thankful. Um, You can email us at adjustyourtracking at gmail.com. Any last words for you, Mr. Von Oppen? Uh, That's it. (laughs) Perfect. Just like you tearing up watching girls skateboard in New York, I'm just tearing up with that sound. It's just, it hit me, Joe. Guttural. Guttural. (laughs) Thank you.